Certain things have always bothered me, especially when it has to do with family members and showing up on a call and somebody's dead and we have to work a CPR for 40 minutes and then you have to break that news to them that, you know, we did all we could, but they're, they're not coming back. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Now let's get started. We've talked several times on this show about PTSD and its effect on firefighters. It's a serious problem, one that affects nearly 40% of first responders. On this edition of Code 3, we're going to talk about a documentary that brings home the problem in a very impactful way. It's titled, The Call We Carry, Confronting PTSD in the Fire Service. It's quite a good film, packing a lot into just over an hour of screen time, and it's won some prestigious film festival awards. The film was produced and directed by firefighter paramedic Cody Shea. He's been with the Tacoma, Washington Fire Department since 2018. He had a photo and film background before he joined the fire service, and he's a second-generation firefighter. And Cody Shea joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you for having me on. So this documentary is clearly very timely, but what prompted you to produce it? Well, I do still photography and videography for the department on the side, uh, both for the social media team as well as our interdepartmental training. And I was approached about a year and a half ago by our fire chief that said, hey, I'd like you to do a video highlighting the services of our peer support team. You know, said like he'd like a five minute, five to seven minute almost infomercial, just highlighting some of the services that are available to our firefighters that, you know, for some of our new people might not understand that these resources are available. And to just do do a small video highlighting those services. And then, uh, so I started first by asking some people if they'd be willing to talk on camera and naturally nobody wanted to talk after a few months someone did decide to talk to me his name was craig pollock and i think word kind of spread throughout the department that somebody of his uh seniority and his experience level was willing to talk to me others quickly followed suit and uh i then interviewed uh bird porter and after I interviewed both Craig and Vern, I, I realized very quickly how impactful their stories were and how much of a larger scale this uh, story had to be. I contacted the chief and said, hey, now this isn't going to be the story that I think many would like to see, but it's probably the story we all need to see. It's a dark story, but it's very relatable and I think it might be impactful if you just let me have creative freedom and do kind of see where it goes and he gave me a full blessing and said go for it <clears throat> and then after talking to two people like ended up talking to 10 and before i knew it i had 
well over an hour worth of material to tell the story. And that's that's how it started and that's how it kind of came to fruition. And filled with a lot of very personal interviews. You know, people that you just referred to as initially being unwilling to do it and then apparently changed their mind. Let's listen to one real quick clip right now and we'll see an example of that. It must have been like the first week or first couple of weeks I was even a paramedic student. Some lady threw her little kids off the fourth floor of a building and jumped. That's wrong. Three DOA. Commander Steve. GD terminal. I never been exposed to that. I like to ski and go fishing and like I don't I never see anything like that. I didn't know how to process that. This is the most gnarly thing I'd ever seen. And then we go back to the station and dudes all just go back to what they're doing. I was like, what? The, how do you, what? Now that must be an experience that pretty much everybody has when they start out. But how did you get the, your colleagues to agree to open up like that on camera if they were so hesitant at first? Well, you know, with with Craig in particular, Craig's a good friend of mine, and uh, we were both uh, assigned to the same station, Engine 10, and uh, it was just one of those shifts that we worked together, and we talked long into the night about some of our struggles and things that we both have dealt with, and you know, I just opened up to him and I said, look, you know, I'm really struggling finding people to talk. And he just looked at me and said, I'll talk to you. I'll talk with you, bro. I'll go on camera. And I think that one was a very good icebreaker for, well, for, for me in particular, because I wasn't really prepared to hear what he had to say. I wasn't prepared for the honesty. I wasn't prepared for the vulnerability. You didn't know his story before he told it. I, I knew that he had plenty of struggles and he had opened up to some of them but when the camera came on and you know we for lack of better term opened the floodgates it was really a gripping story and it captivated me and i i said very little during that interview you know we started from the beginning of his career and worked on and you know the story told itself in a way it just happened so naturally and you know, like i said it was just it was uh captivating to me I was uh, on the edge of my seat the whole time, both with him and Burns interviewed, and I knew that we had something, uh, something drastically unique and special. Some people might think that PTSD is a simple problem to address. You know, you just make sure everyone has someone they can talk to, and it'll be all good. Yeah. But there's one story that really stood out to me in this documentary. It's the story of the guy who moved into the role of fire marshal to get a break from the trauma. Yeah. Let me first play this clip to set it up. Okay. When I went down the prevention, I kind of let my guard down. I wasn't going on those calls no more. So I kind of, hey, I'm, I'm done with that side. I was burned out. I needed a break. So I went there to get that break and it was working. The break was working great for me. But a lot of my support group in that time frame retired. They left the job. They're not here no more. Some of them have moved away. And... I lost my support group. I lost my foundation. And then he went to a fatal structure fire call that no one knew was a fatal when he started investigating. 
Yes. So here's what happened next. Most people had already left. There was only a couple companies still on scene, and I started digging in the bathroom to figure out what I could do. And I picked up an item, thought it was a shampoo bottle. And when I looked closer, it was a, a head. That's when he began to realize that PTSD counseling needs to be ongoing. It's not an okay, I'll be fine now kind of thing. No. Yeah, that was a that was a difficult uh, story to hear. And uh, it was difficult for other people to hear that were on that scene because they felt his pain and they heard it in his voice and they saw it on his face. And several people on that scene expressed, uh, I guess you would say, uh, maybe even regret or sorrow that they couldn't have found it themselves. You know, they couldn't have found those bodies themselves to at least prepare him for what he was about to find. But, you know, that's just sometimes the way the world works. Sometimes how our, how our job works, you know. Have you experienced the old school technique or lack thereof of saying, suck it up and deal with it? You know, I've been fortunate enough to not have a ton of experience with that. You know, I've, I've only been in the fire service just, just shy of six years. And before that, I was in EMS for four years. And, um, you know, I feel like very fortunate that when something really bothered me, it really bothered me. And other people on scene, it bothered them as well, you know. So the things that have impacted me personally, I haven't witnessed a lot of the suck it up mentality, but I'm very aware that many of my colleagues, especially those that appeared in the video, have. And I feel like it's changed a lot of people. A lot of those salty firefighters that never said anything now now they say things you know they open up a little more so we've noticed change on a field level since this has come out uh, within our department and we hope that it spreads to other departments as well to and not to say that we we're trying to promote an atmosphere where if you see something messed up you know we see we see horrible things every day and it's part of the job that's never really going to go away and not to create a veil of excuses on why we can't do our job or, you know, this isn't for everybody. But I think it's softened that atmosphere to the point where if something's messed up and we need to get it off our chest, people are more willing and active to be active and, I guess, participatory listeners in that aspect what about you do you have any particular ptsd symptoms how do you deal with them yeah so my my story um in particular is a little was a little strange and you know i guess the suck it up mentality i do have experience with but it was mostly internal um, within myself you know i worked on this project for a year and some days I'd spend 12 to 15 hours editing and listening to these stories over and over and over. And it became kind of a dark place for me for a while. I was, you know, locked in my editing room and working on this. And, you know, after a while, I was like, wow, it really started to kind of rub off on me, the darkness, you know, hearing these stories over and over. And then right when I started working on it pretty heavily, I had a extremely traumatic call um that i kind of had to put to the side and didn't really give it the attention that it deserved and i didn't really uh take into account my own mental health and pushed it off to the side a lot you know i had this kind of notion that well maybe 
people would perceive, oh, this guy just did a big documentary on PTSD and now he's having PTSD as well. You know, I think I always have had things that bothered me. I just didn't really understand that I was in that category of how much they were affecting me as well. So while I was working on it, uh, this was last last February, I was a new paramedic, still a new paramedic, and um, went to a uh, breach delivery call, ended up being second on the scene, and it was a very uh, hard-to-reach area of an apartment complex, female in the back, second floor, on all fours with, you know, about half of the body of the baby had already been delivered. Uh, we couldn't reach the umbilical and we were just stuck. Baby wouldn't come out and we tried repositioning for several times and this quickly turned into a uh, a near panic situation where we knew if we didn't get this baby out, the baby was going to come out dead. And it turned it into about a 15-minute ordeal of trying to extricate her out of the apartment. And then when we finally came up with a plan on how to get her out in the position that she was in. Baby came out. Baby came out dead. We worked the kid immediately. We went from a pretty traumatic breach delivery to a newborn uh, CPR code that lasted approximately 30 minutes where we lost pulses. We got pulses back. We ended up, you know, we, we worked as hard as we possibly could to save this kid. And got the baby there alive after losing pulses two more times, you know, rode up on the gurney, keeping a finger on the brachial artery and keeping an eye on the monitor the whole time, just ready for, you know, the baby to lose pulses again. And uh, we felt pretty accomplished when we dropped the kid off and then, you know, come to find out, you know, days later that uh, there wasn't an octave brain injury and the kid had never made it. We never got briefed on that either. We were kind of left wondering like well i hope the kid made it and some people were able to you know just go on about their lives uh, not really worrying too much or wondering too much and for me i was personally invested immediately you know i wanted to know if the kid made it i wanted to know if our efforts made a difference i wanted to know the outcome you know it was just important to me i, I cared and maybe i cared a little too much because you know when i found out that kid didn't make it that's when all the guilt started you know anything that could have gone wrong in the fall would have gone wrong i had to go with uh an io needle in um one of the baby's legs and took the packaging out drilled drilled into the um into the baby's leg and went to untwist the io needle and realized uh quickly that i couldn't untwist the needle and then it just threw me for a loop and i didn't know what was wrong and uh, quickly, I realized that this was a defective IO needle, that there was no hollow bore. And it was completely solid, and there was no twistable part on the piece. And it just completely baffled me at the time. And I said, I don't know what's, I don't know what's wrong with this. Tell me what's wrong with this. And then someone else came to untwist it, and they said, what, what's going on? And then quickly realized, like, wow, this is, this is a... Uh, a defective piece of equipment and so we had to drill into the other leg and then we lost the two uh, extricating the baby down the stairs everything that could have gone wrong went wrong and i think a lot of us blamed ourselves for the outcome you know i we did a deep breaching afterwards so you said that you had essentially blamed yourself even though it wasn't really your fault objectively 
So how did you get through that? Uh, well, I did a lot of ignoring. <laughs> I did a lot of, uh, you know, just uh, tried to stay busy, you know, kept injecting myself into the film every uh, every chance I got and really just tried to stay busy. But the thing I was staying busy on was very dark, very dark material. You know, it's all talking about things that I myself was dealing with. And, you know, for me personally, I kind of just shoved it down, shoved it down deep and uh, just kept working on the film. And then by the time the film was over, everything just kind of piled on to me. You know, I started realizing, like, I don't really know how to function right now because this is still bothering me. I still blame myself for not being on top of my game or not noticing things quicker. You know, this was such a dynamic scene where we had literally five paramedics and I was the newest one on the scene. And even though some might say, well, you know, they're new, this is part of learning. It wasn't, that wasn't acceptable to me. I thought that I should have been able to catch things that I didn't. When in reality, there, there really wasn't much I could have done different. You know, it was just the way the the uh, situation unfolded and we responded to it in the best way we knew how. And I think the big turning point for me, once I got into counseling and started seeing somebody, it started opening up to how I blamed myself. They said, well, what did you do when that didn't work? And I said, well, I, I grabbed another one and I did that. And they said, well, you did the next best thing. And I thought about that long and hard, and it's like, you know what? you're right. I did do that. It wasn't like I did nothing and saw everything falling apart and said, oh my gosh, this is just terrible, but didn't do anything. You know, I did everything I could to save that kid and did everything I could to, you know, be the best medic I could. And certain things, you know, have always bothered me, especially when it has to do with family members and showing up on a call and somebody's dead and we have to work a CPR for 40 minutes and then you have to break that news to them that, you know, we did all we could, but they're, they're not coming back, you know, and watching those family members handle that has always bothered me ever since I've been on this job. And I don't know if it'll ever go away. I think that's just part of the way this job goes, but at least I understand the aspect of which bothers me the most so that I can better prepare for it. I think in the future. And it's done, it's done wonders for me, especially getting into mental health counseling. You know, I got to a point where things were not going well for me. They weren't going well at home. They weren't going well in my relationship. I was completely uh, depressed and didn't want to be around people. And it wasn't a good place to be. And my fiance uh, at the time told me, that you're just you're just not yourself. I think you need to take some time and you know get into some counseling and get yourself right. You know I heard her out and you know that's what I did. I I took the time off and. How did you react to that initially? Did you agree with her right away, or did you have to look at it for a while? I you know I really I didn't argue with her. I was very silent and uh, I started feeling really overwhelmed with emotions because I knew she was right. I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know how to solve it. And like I said, I felt the guilt of not wanting to put this documentary out there for everybody to see. And then I guess I was worried about the perception of how it would look if I immediately was like, okay, I need time off. I'm not dealing with things right. But in reality, that's just the way it is. You know, 
you can't you can't operate through life you know when things bother you always worrying about how other people feel about it and you can't base those decisions off of how other people feel about it regardless of how they feel you know i didn't even know and uh when i took the time off i you know i ended up taking about two months off and did uh three different types of therapies once a week and uh ended up you know going on an antidepressant and things started opening up for me and things started being more clear and before i knew it i was i was i was happy to go back to work you know when i took the time off i didn't want to be there there was a time where i didn't even know if i wanted to continue doing this job just because everything just i didn't see an escape i didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel i didn't see anything that was you know showing me that i could do this for another 20 years wow and uh it scared it scared me because this is all i've wanted to do you know i grew up in a firefighting family i was around the fire service since i can remember um and it, it's all i've ever wanted to do and here i am and i finally made it here it took me five years to get the job and and here i am going maybe this isn't for me and you know i think that's okay and some people do need to come to that real it need to ask themselves that question I don't think there's anything wrong with asking that question either. And it doesn't make us uh, weaker. You know, sometimes people just uh, take things too personally and they can't leave it at the station when they go home. And that's what I was doing. I was bringing all that home and not really opening up to my fiance about it and, you know, telling her how much it was bothering me until it was a little too late. And then once I finally did, I realized, man, I think about this a lot sooner. And she was so supportive of it and, you know, allowed me the time to get right, you know, and now things are much better. And, uh, you know, we're, we're about to get married now and our relationship's never been stronger. And, you know, it really just showed me the value of communication and vulnerability and especially in a relationship. Congratulations on all that. That's fantastic. Thank you. This film has been available for about six months now. Is that right? We released it on YouTube um, at the end of October. You know, we initially rented out uh, a local theater here in Tacoma. And uh, for, I think, four nights, we allowed our members to bring their families to see the film um, in a theater setting. And the response we got was phenomenal. Um, a lot of people opened up about a lot of things uh, and a lot of unlikely characters too. A lot of people that had never opened up about things started opening up. And then once we went um, live on YouTube, um, it started gaining uh, some national notoriety, which was fantastic. What kind of feedback have you gotten nationally? I've been reached out to by firefighters all over the world commenting the video and, you know, saying that uh, the best comments that I've gotten are people that have struggled themselves and say, you know what, this is this is what I needed to hear. And this actually, like, prompted me to get some help of my own and now I feel much better. I mean, those, it's hard to it's hard to not feel really good to hear that. That's fantastic film is beautifully shot and edited. It's titled The Call We Carry, Confronting PTSD in the Fire Service. It is available for free on YouTube. 
And Cody Shea, thanks for talking with me today on Code 3. Thank you very much, Scott. I appreciate it. And there's more about the call we carry, including the link to view it, on our website at code3podcast.com slash documentary. If you haven't seen it, you may want to watch it with your whole house one evening. Take a look. Let me know what you think. Now, if you find the information on Code 3 to be valuable to your professional development, you can return that value by giving any dollar amount to keep this show going. $10 a month in particular gives you access to the Code 3 Bull Sessions, where we post occasional extra material that didn't make the main show. Just head over to Code3Podcast.com support to make your pledge. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.